Well, first of all, thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything. As always, this has been the most refreshing meeting you can just ever be in. It's great. And a meeting like this does not just throw itself together magically. It takes a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice. I know that. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all of it. The accommodations have been tremendous. The food, fantastic. Fellowship and the preaching has just been great and refreshing to my soul. Music, just all been great. I appreciate Pastor Gravely and all his graciousness and friendship through the years. And again, as I mentioned, the preaching so far has encouraged my soul. I appreciate the message about the Bible this morning. That was just great. I, I loved every bit of that. Wonderful. All of it's been a help to me. And I hope I can just add my little part and be a help to you. Begin to go to Matthew chapter 14, please. Matthew chapter 14. Um, some years ago, decided uh, I, I'd always been a swimmer. And I, of course, you know, eight, ten feet deep, pretty shallow. But I decided I wanted to go deeper than that. Decided I wanted to see if I could take up scuba diving. So I didn't know the first thing about it. Didn't even know you could get official training on or anything. But we were actually down in Florida, my family and I. We came across a yard sale, and they had a wetsuit there, which is what you need when you're scuba diving. Didn't really know anything about it, how they were sized or anything else. But I, I told Dana, I said, I'm going to buy that. She said, you're wasting your money. I said, I'm going to buy it. She said, all right, go ahead. So I bought it, and we took it back to the hotel. And I, and I tried to get into it, and I couldn't get into it. It was a little bit disturbing. I didn't know what was going on exactly. So I did what everybody does. I Googled it. And, and Google said that sometimes you may have to, like, spray yourself with, of all things, cooking spray. I thought that was weird. True story. But we went out and got some cooking spray. Dana just doing like this like she normally does for me. So when I got, got, got back to the hotel, I squirted myself down. I, tried, I started to squeeze into that thing. And I got halfway into it. And that's as far as I could get into it. I was sort of like this. And I couldn't get the other arm into it. And then I tried to get out of it and realized I couldn't get out of it. In it and out and couldn't get in or out all the way. And, I, and I, the claustrophobia started to set in. I started to panic. And, and so I hollered for my wife, for Dana to come in there. And, and my dear, my dear help me, my bride given to me by the Lord, who is supposed to be a good gift from the Lord, came in there and saw me in that predicament. <laughs> I just completely came unglued and is holding her sides. I'm like, woman, I'm dying here. Get me out of this thing. Help me. And she, once she finally started laughing, she finally managed to, after a whole lot of a Herculean effort, finally got me out of my, out of my predicament there. And uh, I never thought, I'd, never thought I'd ever get into one of those things again. But finally, after several years, we got brave enough and, and I took training, um, yeah, patty training, and, and got, uh, got certified and got to go scuba diving some. So I said that to say this, I have been both in the shallow end and I've been both in the deep end. And that uh, brings to mind, obviously, preaching a little bit. I guess everybody has been both in the shallow end and in the preaching and the, and the deep end sometimes. Unashamedly, I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a shallow message. And the shallowness of it is going to be the blessing of it. Matthew chapter 14. Let's begin reading from verse 22 through 32. And I hope I can just be an encouragement and a help to you this afternoon. Matthew 14, 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus wanted them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit! And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, 
bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Lord, bless, I pray, the reading of your word. Lord, I pray you just calm my heart, my mind, and my thoughts. Lord, get me focused on the task at hand and what you'd have me to deliver to your assembled people today. And Lord, I pray you do your perfect work through your perfect word. And for everything you do, we'll give you the praise for you alone are worthy. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, the miracle before us is unique in a couple of regards. Obviously, it's unique in that two individuals walked on the water. In all of human history, that's never before or since happened. But it's also unique in that it's recorded by Matthew and Mark and John. Normally, Matthew and Mark and Luke will record the same things, which is why we commonly call them the synoptic gospels, while John records something different. But for whatever reason, this time it broke down differently. Matthew and Mark and John record it while Luke doesn't. By way of timing and setting, you should know that this happens right after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, one of the most famous of all miracles. Jesus performed that miracle, then constrained his disciples to get into a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side, while he himself stayed behind and went up into a mountain to pray. And then in the middle of the night, while they were miles from shore, a violent storm engulfed the sea and threatened to send them all to watery graves. But Jesus came and walked on the water to meet them. And again, Matthew and Mark and John record that fact. Matthew also, though, gives us another component to this miracle. He records the fact that not only did Jesus walk on the water to them, but Peter walked on the water to him and it's that part of the miracle, Peter walking on the water to Jesus and then becoming fearful and doubtful and beginning to sink beneath the waves that I find something incredibly and ironically enough encouraging in. And it may not be at all what you think. Yes, it's encouraging that Jesus came to them walking on the water. Aren't you glad? He often comes walking on your storm. That's not the encouraging thing that I'm currently focused on as I consider this miracle. Yes, it's encouraging that Jesus reached down and grabbed Peter and kept him from drowning. And aren't you glad he always seems to get there just right on time? But that's also not the encouraging thing that I'm focused on as I consider this miracle. There's another aspect, another blessing of this miracle, if you would, that just recently occurred to me as I was studying and meditating on the text. I'll hold off on my title for now and, and give it to you at the end of the message. So for now, let's just begin our way working through this passage Notice, first of all, the men within the storm in verse 22. The Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now, the men that followed Jesus during his earthly ministry were many things. They were inconsistent. They were often hot-tempered. Sometimes they were just downright slow-witted. But one thing about them that may sound like a bad thing, but in reality is sort of a good thing when you think about it, is that they usually did not hesitate to tell Christ the thoughts or the feelings that they had on every given issue. Sometimes, yes, they did get quiet. But for the most part, if they were thinking it, they said it. It got so far as to where Peter once even rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ of all the ridiculous things. But in the text before us, it's pretty clear that these men made their thoughts known to Christ on whether or not they should be getting into a boat and sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Please remember that the Lord, while he was on earth, had a physical occupation. He was a carpenter. Please remember that his men who were following him also had physical occupations. Most of them were fishermen. 
In other words, he was not used to being out on the waters. They were used to being out on the waters. They had a great deal more experience than the carpenter of Nazareth did in this. They knew the weather. They knew the water. So when this text tells us that Christ constrained them to get into the boat and go to the other side, and you realize that word constrain means to compel and to force and to drive into a channel, you realize that a conversation has taken place about this. In so many words, the Lord has said, Fellas, I want you to get into a boat, and I want you to go to the other side. And they said, Mm-mm. And he said, No, fella, I don't think you understand. I want you to get in a boat, and I want you to go to the other side. Lord, no offense. We know the weather. We know the ways. We know the water. No offense or anything, Lord. But it's a bad idea. We'll, we'll wait till later. Men, get in the boat. Fine. I'm sure none of you have ever find the Lord. But in so, in so many words, they're fine. If that's what you want, that's what we'll do, Lord. Now, there's something to be said for being honest with the Lord and telling Him what your thoughts and feelings are on any given issue, especially since He already knows them anyway. You realize how ridiculous we get sometimes when we pray? We are going before the Lord and praying, Oh, Lord God, thou who knowest all things and have superintended every event of our lives. Lord, thou that knowest the best of me. And in our hearts, we're going, Lord, that's a terrible idea and I hate every second of it. And the Lord's hearing our words and reading our heart and this, this gigantic disconnect. These men are being honest with the Lord about what they're going through. You know, anybody who ever follows Christ is going to have some fear involved when they do. Anyone who follows Christ is going to have to do so by faith over and over and over again because without faith it is impossible to please Him. So right here at the outset, give these men some credit. They didn't want to be out on that boat on those waters and yet they were out on that boat on those waters. Verse 23 and 24 says, When he'd sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now please follow the timeline of this. It's late in the day, but there's still some light. Mark's account tells us that the day was far spent. So there's enough light for Jesus to tell the men to get into a boat and go. There's enough light for Jesus to address the multitudes and send them away but that's about all. By that time it's beginning to get dark. He then makes his way up into a mountain while they start rowing. Well several hours pass and now it is very dark. In fact it is pitch black. Naturally a storm rolls in. The boat's in the midst of the sea. Things are getting so bad that they're beginning to fear for their lives. So we have men who have been serving with Christ all day. Men who have expressed their displeasure about the idea of getting on the boat and men who now are doing everything possible just to keep from drowning. Again, give these men some credit. They knew this was the likely outcome and yet they went anyway. These men were radically different from most of the so-called Christ followers of our day. Everybody has that in their bio these days. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christ follower. But the truth of the matter is, if we're going to follow Christ, it's going to have to be when the sun is shining and when the thunderclouds are dropping down on us. If we're going to truly follow Christ, it'll have to be when the seas are calm and when the waves are threatening to capsize us. If we're going to follow Christ, it's going to have to be when everything He asks makes sense and when nothing He asks makes sense. If we're going to truly follow Christ, it'll have to be when we feel like it and when we don't don't feel like it, when we want to be faithful and when we don't want to be faithful, when our hearts are whole and when our hearts are broken to bits, when our world is solid, when our world is shattered, these men were willing to follow Christ through anything and everything. 
So he's the men within the storm. Notice then number two, the master in his domain. Now the last verse we read here in the Gospel of Matthew gives us the perspective from the disciples out there on the boat. Verse 24 says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Well, that was their perspective. But if we want to know Christ's perspective at this particular point in time, we'll find that by comparing Mark's and John's Gospel. John 6.19 says, So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs. That furlong measurement in our terms means three or four miles. So the disciples are three or four miles out to sea. They are in a very small boat, probably at maximum 15 to 20 feet long, maybe the length of this platform here. It is the middle of the night. It is pitch black. And now there is a violent, dark storm that has come upon them and waves rolling high over their head. And it is at that point that Mark 6, verse 47 and 48 says this, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land, and he saw them toiling in rowing. Now there's an old Christmas song, Do you see what I see? I got a question about this passage. Do you see what I see? There are a group of men, they're in a boat, no, no longer than this platform. It, it is three to four miles from shore. It is the middle of the night. They don't have any lights. The clouds are overhead. There's no moon in the sky. There's no, there's no stars because there's a violent storm. Waves are taller than the boat. And yet from three to four miles away in the middle of the night in a tiny boat, the Lord Jesus Christ from the land sees them toiling in rowing. That is an absolute impossibility unless you just so happen to be the Son of God and God the Son. Can I tell you that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter how dark the night, no matter how small the boat, no matter how heavy the cloud cover, no matter how high the waves, He sees you toiling and rowing. There's nobody like Him. And so Jesus, after seeing what could not be seen, decided to take a walk that could not be taken. Verse 25 says that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now the disciples were in a boat scared to death to be out on the water. And do you know why? Because that wasn't their domain. People live on the land, they just visit the middle of the sea. But by contrast, Jesus was not in a boat. He too was out on the water and yet he wasn't scared a bit. And do you know why? Because he was in his domain. You see, human beings are present. Jesus is omnipresent. There's nowhere that he is not. He's just as at home sitting on the rings of Saturn as he is sitting on his throne in glory. He is as at ease in the heart of a volcano as he is on a feather bed. He's as steady on the raging waves of the sea as he is walking down Main Street in heaven. Jesus is walking to them on the water and he's not carefully picking his steps. He's not trying to find just the right places. He's walking as if on a highway down the middle of an empty road it is his domain. Job knew this years ago in Job 9.8. He said, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. He'd never seen it or heard of it. But somehow Job knew him well enough to know that if I'm out there on the water and I need him, he'll just come walking to me. So we see the man within the storm. We see the master in his domain. But then I want to see the miracle within the miracle. What do we have so far? Uh, Jesus and his men serve and feed 5,000. Jesus then tells his men to get into the boat. 
they don't want to go. They knew what was likely to happen. So Jesus constrains them. He pressures them into getting into the boat. They agree to do so and start rowing for the other side. Jesus dismisses the multitude. Then he goes up into a mountain to pray. Hours later, the disciples are out on the sea. It's the middle of the night. A wicked storm has whipped up. They're scared to death. They believe they're going to sink and die. So Jesus comes to them walking on the water. But as in most good stories, at some point there's going to be a little wild card that pops up. And for anybody who knows anything about the New Testament, it will not come as any surprise whatsoever that this particular wild card was named Peter. Verse 26 and 27. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit! And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And listen to me very carefully. If there was not a guy named Peter on that boat, this miracle would have ended right here. But there is. A guy named Peter on this boat. If there was no Peter, it would have just been them saying, Yes, Lord, come on to the boat. And, and the next thing we would have been reading is Jesus entered the boat. They all smiled, breathed a sigh of relief. Winds and waves stopped blowing and rolling. But that's not the next thing we read. The next thing we read in verse 28 is, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. Peter. Peter. Where do you even begin? Let's begin with, Lord, if it be thou. Do you think is out there? Is it like the camel rental guy that just stiffed last week coming out there trying to get his payment? Is it like a Jehovah's Witness who built a time time machine and is walking on the water to tell you about paradise on earth? Who do you think's walking out there to see you? Of course it's Peter Jesus. Of course we can't stop there. How about how about then we ask, Peter, what, what made you pick that for proof? Lord, if it be thou. Bid me come to thee on the water. Really? Could we not come up with maybe, Lord, if it be thou, tell me a secret that only you and I would know. (laughs) Wouldn't that make a little more sense than bid me to come to thee walking on the water? But Peter's nothing if not entertaining. He actually said it. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. And all teasing of Peter aside, I'm so glad that he did. There's so much we can draw out of that and what came from it. We can start with the obvious, namely the fact that even Peter didn't do so well on the water. At least he was out there. I try my very best to be very patient with with all mankind. But one aspect of mankind I have a real problem being patient with are those who have done nothing, built nothing, accomplished nothing, but criticize everyone who is trying to build something, do something, accomplish something. I have no use for people that only know how to use a sledgehammer and have no experience with a framing hammer or a saw or or nails. If all you do is criticize and destroy, I've got no use for you. So let's just say at least Peter's out there on the water. But there's something else, and boys are something else. And once you start to look at this, I believe it'll really help you. Verse 29, and he, he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked in the water to go to Jesus. Now, can you imagine that moment? Put, put yourself in Peter's, Peter's position here. Don't, don't just see black words on a white page. Peter's in the boat. The water's out here. Peter, Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. Now, don't you think for a minute maybe Peter was thinking, I really hope he doesn't take me up on this. You know how we do that? We say something to the Lord and we're thinking, Lord, please don't actually let me do it. <laughs> Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to the water. And Jesus says, come on. <laughs> don't you know Jesus had to smile at Peter a lot? Come on. So Peter grabs the edge of the boat. 
okay, sort of solid, fear. Gets the other one down. He's hanging on to the edge of the boat. I'm not going down. I'm not going down yet. He starts to take a little step away. He's got that, got that one hand on the edge. But at some point, at some point, he's got to let go. Should we let's go? And he's upright. Oh. And every step he takes, gets a little more confident. And you know the guys in the boat have got to be like, oh! so cool that's still not the end of the story still not where we're going to get quite yet there's still a miracle within a miracle to see look at verse 30 and 31 but when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid beginning to seek he cried saying Lord save me and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You know, you hear a lot of preaching on the fact that Peter got his focus off of Christ onto the storm, then he began to sink because of that. That's entirely true. That needs to be preached. As long as my focus is on Christ, as long as your focus is on Christ, we're not going to sink. You also hear a lot of preaching on the fact that Jesus reached out and grabbed Peter just in time. That's also entirely true. That needs to be preached. Our Jesus is the best friend we'll ever have. He's always right there to grab us when we start to go down. But there's something else here as well, something that never dawned on me until recently again as I was meditating over these verses. Look at verse 30 again. It says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. I want you to stop right there and look at those three words. Beginning to sink. You know what's so odd about those words? What's so odd about those words is they completely defy the laws of physics. We know that Jesus walked on the water and defied the laws of physics. We know that Peter walked on the water and defied the laws of physics. But the fact that Peter was beginning to sink defies the laws of physics just as much as those other two things. Put yourself out there in the water. You've got an invisible platform underneath you you've been walking on. All of a sudden the platform is yanked out from underneath you. Do you begin to sink? In less than half a second, you are completely submerged and you're underwater. Dunk tank. You're in the dunk tank. Somebody doesn't like you and they come to see you because you're in the dunk tank. They hit their target. Do you begin to sink? Nope. You're just underwater. But the Bible doesn't say Peter sank. The Bible says Peter began, began to sink. The same phrasing is used in Luke chapter 5 verse 7 when the ship began to be overloaded with fish and it says and it began to sink. In other words, Peter, Peter when he got his eyes on the storm and when, when, when Peter started to lose his faith, he did not... His ankles went under, and his calves went under, and his knees went under. Don't, 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 don't know exactly how fast or how slow it took, but I know that it wasn't natural. I know that it wasn't normal. He didn't, he didn't sink. He began to sink, and in fact, he began to sink and had time to say the words, Lord, save me, at which point Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. If the platform is yanked underneath you under normal circumstances, you don't have the ability to say the words, Lord, save me. You're just immediately underwater. So he's sinking in the most unnatural way, and he has time to say, Lord, save me, and Jesus reaches out immediately and grabs him. Do you know what I hear about Christians all the time? I hear things like, oh, you Christians, you don't do things like other people do. And you Christians, you don't go places like other people go. And you Christians, you don't say things like other people say. And you Christians, you don't have the experiences that other people have. And all that's true. But you know what else we don't do? We don't sink like everybody else either. 
When the lost world has the bottom drop out from under them, there's nothing to catch them. There's nothing to slow them. They just automatically go under. But for a child of God, we never do sink. All we ever do is just begin to sink. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, took his multicolored coat, sent him down there into Egypt. He thought he was going to sink, but you know what? He never did sink. He just sort of went down a little more and down a little more, but the Lord was right there to catch him. And 22 years later, all his dreams come true because he never did sink. He just began to sink. David spent much of his young life running from Saul, just hoping that he would live. He said, there's been a step between me and death. In so many words, I feel like I'm sinking, but he wasn't really sinking. All he was doing was beginning to sink. And God had the time to get there and catch him just at the right time. Daniel had to watch in horror as Jerusalem was burned and he's taken into captivity and made a eunuch in the king's court. And he felt like he was sinking, but he never did sink. He just began to sink. And he was able to have time to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord was always there to catch him. Stephen preached just one message and it got them so angry that they stoned him to death, but not really. And he started to sink, but not really. You see, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he had time to say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he didn't die. He just he just fell asleep and woke up in heaven. He didn't sink. He just began to sink. Paul was shipwrecked three times, scourged, beaten with rods, left for dead after being stoned. But he never did sink. He just began to sink. And the Lord was always there to catch him. At the end of his life, he was able to say, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've fought a good fight. Jesus never did sink either. He got in the garden of Gethsemane and sweat as it were great drops of blood. He hung on Calvary and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he didn't sink. He just began to sink because a few minutes later, he was able to say, it is finished. You hear me well. Child of God, you may feel like you're going under, but you're not going under like the lost world around you. Because if you're walking to God or with God, then you're never sinking. You're just beginning to sink. I grew up with a single mother who loved the Lord. But when, the, when my stepfather left, we had nothing. We were left in bankruptcy and I heard her cry a lot of times in the night. Lord, what are we going to do? Where's the next check going to come from? Where's the next meal going to come from? Seemed like we were sinking, preacher. But you know what? We were just beginning to sink. And it never did actually happen because he was always right there every single time. And all these years later, I still haven't sunk. Listen to me, child. I've got to know what you're going through. If you're walking towards God or with God, you're not going to sink. You're just going to begin to sink. Let's all stand as my eyes are closed. Oh, listen to me real carefully. I don't know what you're going through, but you've got a real good God who doesn't even let you sink like everybody else. Amen. It's the most unnatural thing in the world, but it's exactly how He treats His children. Is it okay, preacher, if I every head bowed, every eye closed, got some questions as the pianist begins to play? First of all, this, if you know that you're saved, would you raise your hand where I can see it? If you know you're saved, you know it for a fact, just raise your hand. God bless you. Good, you can put it down. Thank you. What if there's one in this room who'd say, Preacher, that God you're talking about sounds real good, and I need him because I don't have him. Preacher, I don't know if I'm saved. If that's you, would you slip your hand where I can see it? Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Are there others? Preacher, I don't know if I'm saved. Listen to me very carefully then before I speak to the Christians. You that raised your hand, I want to tell you something. The Lord loves you and has you here for this purpose at this time. 
And if you'll come to the altar and slip your hand up, we'll send somebody with a Bible to show you today how to make that God your God, that Savior your Savior. You can get saved today and never, never have to worry about that awful place called hell. You interested in that? Would you shake your head up now if you're interested in that? Good. God bless you. Well, listen, when the invitation begins, I want you to slip out and come. But before we do that, child of God, listen to me. I wonder how many of you have, have really wondered whether you were going to sink or not. Would you raise your hand if I can see it? Oh, God bless you. See, hands going up across the building. Hands going across the building. Well, listen to me. What would it be real good to do is to make your way to the altar and say, Lord, save me. Lord, Lord, save me. I feel like I'm sinking. But I know I'm just beginning to sink. So, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to get there in time. I'm, I'm going to call out to you. And just like you got there immediately for Peter, I know you'll get there when I need you. Lord, 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 I need you. I, I need your help. Whatever you need, just slip out right now. It's where the water sings. Just come on. You feel like you're sinking? Just come on. Whew. The altar's open. Folks are coming. You come with them. Thank you. Good. See more coming. Very good. I see more coming. Just come on. Whatever you need. Sails on a troubled sea. Oh, child of God, you're not going to sink. Whenever there's a wind in my sail. But I have a friend who watches over me. When the breeze turns into a Above the peaks, my. 